0: Alright, awesome. While we're here, Romans 7. Come on. So look at Romans 7. Uh, shake the dust off your brains. Right? Holidays, our brains get a little foggy. Romans 7 will help wake us up, okay? Come on in here. We'll look at, we'll, we'll look at a, a few points, isn't it? So, Alright, so verse 1. Chapter 7, verse 1. Do you not know, brothers and sisters, for I'm speaking to those who know the law that the law has authority over someone only as long as that person lives. For example, by law, a married woman is bound to her husband as long as he is alive. But if her husband dies, she is released from the law that binds her to them. So then, if she has sexual relations with another man while her husband is still alive, she is called an adulteress. But if her husband dies, she is released from that law and is non-adulteress if she marries another man. So, my brothers and sisters, you also died to the law through the body of Christ, that you might belong to another, to him who was raised from the dead, in order that we might bear fruit for God. For when we were in the realm of the flesh, the sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in us, so that we bore fruit for death. But now, by dying to what once bound us, we have been released from the law, so that we serve in a new way of the Spirit, and not in the old way of the written code. What shall we say then? Is the law sinful? Certainly not. Nevertheless, I would not have known what sin was had it not been for the law. For I would not have known what coveting really was if the law had not said you shall not covet. But sin, seizing the opportunity afforded by the commandment, produced in me every kind of covet. For apart from the law, sin was dead. Once I was alive, apart from the law, but when the commandment came, sin sprang to life and I died. I found that the very commandment that was intended to bring life actually brought death. For sin, seizing the opportunity afforded by the commandment, deceives me and through the commandment put me to death. So then, the law is holy and the commandment is holy, righteous and good. Did that which is good then become death to me? By no means. Nevertheless, in order that sin might be recognized as sin, it used what is good to bring about my death, so that through the commandment, sin might become utterly sinful. We know that the law is spiritual, but I am unspiritual, Sold as a slave to sin, I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do. But what I hate, I do. And if I do what I do not want to do, I agree that the law is good. As it is, it is no longer I myself who do it, but it is sin living in me. For I know that good itself does not dwell in me, that is, in my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For I, For I, I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do. This I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I do not want to do, it is no longer I who do it, but it is sin living in me that does it. So I find this law at work. Although I want to do good, evil is right there with me. For in my inner being I delight in God's law, but I see another law at work in me, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within me. What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? Thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then, I myself, in my in my mind, am a slave to God's law, but in my sinful nature, a slave to the law of sin. Amen. Everyone got it? <laughs> awesome. Let's have a prayer, and then we'll uh, we'll dig into it slowly. Uh, Father, we uh, you know we thank you. We we thank you for, for all we've learned. You know, thus far as we've looked at Romans, and uh, Father, we, we do pray you help us, God, help us this week and in in the weeks to come uh, to really. Uh, learn how to live our lives in a way that pleases you. God, we know that, that, that through your son you have set us free, but that freedom is not meant to be just used to, to serve self, but, but rather it is meant to change us, God. And we pray that you help us, God, to, to understand you know, our relationship with your law, how, how we are meant to see it now, uh, and understand ultimately how that fuels us to really serve you in a great way, God. Again, we love you and we ask you to be with us now. May your spirit move among us, opening up the eyes of our hearts so we can see you and know ourselves. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. A lot in there. A little bit of a tongue, tongue twist even as you read it. Uh, you know. And, and the main topic is the law, in case you didn't notice. Right? Now Paul has had a lot to say about the law throughout Romans. Uh, I think upwards of 76 times in Romans, Paul references the law. In this chapter alone, Paul directly or, or indirectly, because he used commandments as well, mentions the law 23 times in this chapter, all right? And so Paul is, is uh, you know, you even probably picked it up as you saw it there in, 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 uh, early on in the chapter. Come on, iPad, there we go, right? Chapter 7, verse 1, where Paul says, look, I'm speaking to those who know the law. And so some people think that this chapter, uh, Paul is zeroing in on uh, Jewish Christians there in Rome, which would have been, a, you, know, you know, maybe 50% of the church. Uh, other people think, I don't know if he's just talking to Jewish Christians because we've got to remember uh, in, in the time of Paul writing to the church in Rome, it's not like they had the New Testament. Their Bible was the Old Testament. The letters were beginning to be written. Uh, the Gospels are actually written after the letters. Uh, and so some churches uh, would maybe have one of the letters. Right? They may have a copy of Philippians, uh, Some of them may have First Second Peter. Uh, you know Church in Rome obviously is going to have a copy of the letter to them, and and, you know, once Paul writes it and they receive it, but predominantly their Bible was the Old Testament Bible, Genesis all the way to to Malachi. Uh, And and they would use that as their, you know, when they would get together on on, on Sunday, on the first day of the week, the day Jesus resurrected, they would use that. And they would use it in much the same way that we do now. There would be someone who would read and there would be someone who would explain and and proclaim and help people connect it to their lives. Uh, and, And so, uh, what I tend to think here is Paul, I don't think Paul's necessarily zeroing in on, on the Jewish Christians. I think he's trying to help them understand, look, your you know, you sacred writings, right? Uh, they have a purpose, but you got to make sure you use them correctly. Because the Bible itself, the New Testament specifically, will say about the Old Testament eventually that it is a shadow and the reality is found only in Christ. Okay, so the law is a shadow. It doesn't have the clarity that the New Testament has. And so he, he, he's going to help them to understand the relationship to their sacred text at this time, uh, you know, as the New Testament obviously is going to come and, and become more the common use uh, of the readings within their fellowship. Does that make sense? You know, and it's an important thing to understand because I think a lot of times we can get it wrong, you know, what the law means. You know, the Old Testament itself is broken down traditionally uh, into three sections, right? Uh, and you can see them there, the civil, the ceremonial, uh, and then third and lastly, the moral, okay? Uh, civil is pretty obvious, right? That's the Jewish uh, legal code as they function as a nation, okay? Uh, and, you know, some people poke fun at it. Uh, it's the basis for every legal code in the Western world, yeah. right? I mean, that's how foundational it is. Uh, uh, ben Shapiro, who's a Jewish conservative podcaster in, in, in America, uh, he, he writes a, a book from a Jewish perspective but, but uh, a modern-day perspective, pushing back at the secular movement that tries to eradicate every thought of Christianity from the world. Uh, and he says it's folly because our, our civilizations are built on a legal code that comes, goes all the way back to Moses. Yeah. Right? Uh, but it is a civil code, right? And so it's not binding to us because we're not a nation. Right? Uh, the ceremonial code, which you predominantly would find in, in the book of Leviticus, was that of the priestly code. Uh, and that was about the ceremonies of, of tabernacle worship and then ultimately temple worship. We don't worship the temple, so those aren't binding on us, and Jesus, in a sense, fulfills that, uh, you know, completely uh, as the great high priest, right? And then the third subsection of of the law is that of the moral, right? And that's probably more what Paul is driving at anyways here, because that's what he quotes when he talks about covenant. He's quoting from the 10 Commandments there uh, in Exodus 20, uh, and he's choosing commandment 10, uh, and he even parses it out for us as he kind of has his own little I do what I don't want to do and what I want to do I don't do and you know <laughs> this internal wrestling. But he uses coveting as the foundation for that because coveting is it's pretty pervasive, looking and desiring, right? Uh, you know, but but to understand it, that that's you know that, that's how they broke down the, the the law. Even in in Paul's time, they saw it that way, right? Now for us. You know, two of the great thinkers in the Reformation is that of Luther and Calvin, and, and here are their viewpoints of the law, right? Uh, and so they, they each say, look, the law fulfills three, three duties, right? And these are paired as well. Like Luther's is the first, right? Luther said that the, the, the purpose of the law uh, was to curb sinful behavior, right? Uh, to try to restrain sinful man, right? Um, you know, he says it was a mirror for us. Calvin says it convicts us. Right? That's much of what Paul even himself says there in Romans 3, 19-21. Uh, and then thirdly, they see it as that of a guide and in, in, in instruction. Now, for, for, for a non-Christian, use number two of the law is crucial. Right? When you study sin, when you read the Bible for the first time, uh, you begin to seek after God, you, you, you open up a gospel and you read it, and you realize there is no way I can do what that says, right? And if you don't come to that conclusion, you've not read it very well, all right? Uh, because Jesus will straight up say, Matthew five forty-eight, right? Be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. It's an impossible standard; we can't reach it, right? And that's what the law does, right? It mirrors; it helps us see ourselves as we are, and it convicts us, right? that's, that's how a non-Christian should approach the Bible. But for us as Christians, we don't approach it in that way. And that's one of Paul's great points that he's making. And the first point we'll look at uh, is that we've got to understand our relationship to the Lord, right? But, but the third one is, is, is the bulk of what this chapter is about. Right? That we are no longer under the law because we've died with Christ and we've been raised. Right? But that doesn't mean that the law is just meant to be discarded now. Right? And, and Paul even pokes at the idea that the law doesn't do what he thought it would do in producing life. It actually did the opposite. It produced death. But he's like, that doesn't mean that the problem is with the law. He says that the problem is with, the, with us. That the law is holy. The law is righteous. The law is good. The law is spiritual. He is unspiritual. We are unspiritual, right? But, but to understand, this third thing that Luther and Calvin both point at is, as, as how we as Christians are meant to relate to the law, this is what this chapter is all about. You know, and, and, and this is important because a lot of what you can read in Romans 1 to 6, and a lot of people come to the conclusion in Romans 1 to 6 of, oh man, well, if I'm justified by faith, that's the basis for my salvation, that I can't find merit in, in the eyes of God through my obedience, then why do anything? Paul is going to say, Well, look, look at the law. What we are now, not under it. Well, God has rescued us from from being under it and rescued us from being enslaved to our own sin. In order to free us to fulfill the law, right? And he'll say this even more bluntly in chapter eight, you know, ver- verses one, you know, verses one to four, uh, you know. And so, so the aim today is to elevate our viewpoint of the law, right? To help us to leave here more inspired to, hey, yes, I've been freed from that, and yes, it's impossible for me to do that perfectly and, and be justified in God's sight by that. But man, that is still God's standard, yeah. And that is what God wants me to pursue in my life amen awesome so let's look at some some three points here all right first and foremost you know we got to know who we serve right or we got to know uh where we stand right and you guys watch the office you know i watch the office at this point right Uh, i'm a big advocate of it i think it has great spiritual lessons in it right And, and, and so here in verse two paul's not talking about the office but he says you know as an example he's trying to explain this 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 concept Uh, For example, by law, a married woman is bound to her husband as long as he is alive, but if her husband dies, she is released from the law that binds her to him. You know, I love this passage, and I love reminding Michelle of this. When I'm doing stupid things and just you know, being a crabby man as we are, right, as as men, uh, I like to remind her, it's till death. (laughs) Like, you can't get away from me, right? You know, that, that, that you're stuck with me, that it's binding in it. And this is a great scene from The Office, uh, where Dwight Schrute, who's uh, got like I don't know what like German Amish roots, uh, he likes to bring up his Amish traditions or German you know traditions. He says the Schrutes we get married in in our grave sites. Right? He says it makes for really romantic funerals, but marriage, the marriages themselves are a little bit grim. <laughs> uh, you just stand in your grave, right? But it's to, you know it's a joke obviously, but it is emphasizing that concept of marriage. This is still death. Paul says, hey, that's a good example to understand your relationship to the law. You are married to the law. And until you die, you're stuck with it. Now, if you die, legally, you are free from it. And you are as free as a woman uh, whose husband has died. Uh, you know, and, and, and to understand that. Right? Uh, that that's what he's driving at. In verse 4, he says that literally. You also died through the law. Uh, or You also died to the law through the body of Christ. You know, in, in and uh, I don't know who's getting baptized here. Someone's getting baptized, right? But when, you know, whoever it is, uh, you know, it's Bianca. When, getting, when you get buried in, in the waters of baptism, Romans 6 tells us, hey, you die, you know, not, not just to yourself, but you die in the sense to the law. Yeah. And, and like a spouse would be freed as their spouse dies, so you are now free from the law. You're no longer under. All right? Now that's important for us to understand because the ramifications of your status. Before God, who you serve, whether you're serving, you know, the law or whether you're serving uh, Jesus, uh, those are two very different ways of how you will approach the law. And and, in my experience over the years as a disciple studying the Bible with people, is a vast majority of people who even claim Christianity as their, their faith are confused about their standing. Or unsure about their standing. And if you don't have clarity regarding this, you're going to be muddled as you read the Bible. You're going to apply passages to you that probably actually don't apply to you. And you're going to read other ones that you think, you know, don't have any bearing on your life, when in reality they have great bearing on your life. right? And so knowing you know, who you serve, knowing where you stand in regards to the law, is, is of incredible importance. Because we all have a choice. We can die under the law, or we can die to get out from underneath the law. We can die under the law. We can try to live life ourselves, uh, you know, adhering to our own moral code uh, you know, and trying to be a good person. Well, you, the Bible says very plain that you're going to die under the law as a result of that because the weight of the law is way more than you can bear. Or you can choose to die, to surrender, to stand at the waters of baptism and, and, and confess Jesus as your Lord and choose to lay down your life. And when you do that, you're then freed from underneath the law. And they are two very different positions, under the law and under grace. Uh, and he and he details these out in the first six verses, you know. If we're under the law, we are condemned to death. All right? But but if we are under grace, we're, we're alive with Christ. All right? If we're under the law, we are in the flesh. And the flesh cannot cannot please God. But but if we're under grace, if we're in Christ, I mean, we have the spirit. And we are being transformed from within, becoming something new. That work of regeneration begins. If we're still under the law, we are enslaved by sin. And we can't free ourselves from that. But if we've chosen to die and be buried with Christ, we are released from that, slavery. You know, we talked about that. If you remember back in the very beginning of December, uh, that was the last last sermon we had, that idea of slavery, right? Uh, And if we're under the law, the reality is our fruit that we produce, even our best deeds that we produce, God sees them as fruit of death. Because the reality is, even if we do a good deed, we're doing that good deed in order to earn favor in the eyes of God, and so therefore that good deed is no longer a good deed. Does that make sense? Yeah. You guys ever heard the parable about a, a gracious king, uh, and his, one of his servants came to him, and the servant just loved the king. And he said, came to the king, and just out of the overflow of his heart, of his love for the king, he brought the king some of his carrots. You know, and the king was fired up, man, these are great carrots, I appreciate you bringing them here. Here's the best farmland in the kingdom. Right? It's yours, you're my chief carrot supplier. Uh, and the guy went away rejoicing. Uh, some other guy saw and he said, man, if the king does that for someone who gives carrots, then what if I bring some really good horses? And he did, he got his best horses together, came and brought them to, to the king. And the king drove him out from his presence saying, you aren't giving me the horses, you are giving yourself the horses. And it's this idea that God weighs our motives. And when we're trying to do good deeds just to merit it, they are the fruit of death in the eyes of God. Because He doesn't just weigh our actions, He weighs our motives. He doesn't just see what outwardly we're doing or saying, He sees why we're doing it. And that's a factor. That's what He weighs. That's why it's so important. We've got to figure out where we are. Right? Whether we're under the law or wonder whether we're under grace. And like I said before, man, a vast majority of people, uh, and this was true for me uh, before I became a disciple, are unclear about this. And we've got to have clarity on it. Because where we stand, right, married to the law or the law is dead, and we're freed from that, that vastly changes how we approach the scriptures, the Old Testament scriptures. Amen? You guys with me? So we've got to know who we serve, right? sir. So. Most of you that have been baptized know that. If you haven't been baptized, amen, figure that out, and we can help you, right? The other big thing Paul unpacks here is, is we, <laughs> the, the law enables us to know why we serve, right? To know why we serve. Verse 6 there, he says, But now, by dying to what once bound us, we have been released from the law, so that we serve in the new way of the Spirit and not in the old way of the written code. Right. Ezekiel 34 great uh, Old Testament prophecy about the, the new covenant, you know, talks about this. And he talks about there's going to come a time where God's going to pour out his spirit on all people and he's going to change the deeper motivations of why we do what we do. That it's no longer going to be in this old way of the written code, meaning I'm trying to do these things in order to justify myself. It's going to be in a new way. It's going to be doing, you know, doing what God says, doing God's law uh, out of gratitude for what God has already done to us. The structure itself of the Old Testament should have screamed this out to God's people uh, but you know for various reasons it did not when did they receive the law was it before they were free or was it after it was after yeah. it already had the plagues come through Egypt, it already passed through the waters, they had already experienced the, the miraculous provision of manna and water from the rock uh, and even quail uh, and, and their shoes were not <laughs> wearing out, their clothes were wearing out uh, and they journeyed all that distance to the mountain as people who had been redeemed. And then they were given God's law. But, but the Israelites, with time, did the very same thing we do. We inverse it. And we begin to operate in our relationship with God. And we even think our status in our relationship with God is determined by our adherence to what God says. That's, that's not how it works. And understanding why we serve is very, very important. Because the reality is, verse 4 tells us, you might not belong, uh, you might belong to another to him who was raised from the dead in order that we might bear fruit of God. Uh, and, and what Paul is saying there, again can that marriage analogy, he's saying, look, it's not, your relationship in, in terms of uh, the covenant is not to a rule list, it's to a person. It's not to you holding to all these principles or guidelines that, that secures your standing. No, it's it's simply your relationship to Jesus. And whether you're, you're in him or whether you are not. Right? And, and you got to think, you know, why, why do I serve as a Christian? Why do I live a different life? Why do I rock up on church on Sunday? Why do I wake up and read my Bible? Why do I choose to turn the channel when most people would watch the channel? Why do I choose to not go on websites when people would go on websites? Right? Uh, <coughs> why do I choose to... to, to uh, practice generosity rather than uh, selfish and, and, and coveting as, as the world around us does. Why do we live differently? Because again, motives matter, guys. And if you're going to last long term as a disciple, it deeply matters. It deeply matters why we do it. Not just what we do, but why we do it. And the, and the key that Paul is saying here to, to, to living the Christian life, living a life to, to that, that pleases God, the key to bearing fruit for God uh, fruit that, as John says, fruit that will last, uh, is, is that you're not uh, joined to a list of rules, but you are joined to Christ. A relationship. And you think about how that changes us. You know, we, we've seen this, right? We've seen uh, young men in the last year here in, in Perth uh, who were difficult to be around. I'm not going to name names. We all know who we're talking about, right? And then that, that young man finds a woman. <laughs> And he knows that that woman is out of his league, right? And her name's Karen, right? <laughs> <laughs> Stefan has he's accepted this reality, right? But, you know, because I remember when I first moved here, Stefan, you know, was was he was in a growth period, right? But but he, he uh, had been advised that he's just not ready to date, right? That he should steer clear of sisters and probably somebody would in that thought, but stay with me for a second, right? But Stefan and I had a discussion, right? Because there's something about a relationship that will change us, and a relationship that you know you're not deserving of, right? And, and Stefan found that in Karen, though they're not sitting together, for, I'm not sure why, but you know, that, 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 that as Stefan, you know, begins to discover, man, Karen, who's way out of my league, actually cares about me. Lo and behold, all those things that Ben was trying to change and Stefan over the years, <laughs> Stefan began to change them. Why? Because of the relationship. Love, in, in a status of a relationship that we know is undeserving, changes us like nothing else. And the thought that, man, a God who we know we are unworthy to be part of his family, the fact that he will say, hey, you are part of my family, mm-hmm. that, that, that should change. And it should profoundly change us from the inside out, right? It worked for Stefan, and it works for us, right? And Paul kind of points at this, right? Uh, the, the, you're, you're right, Stefan. Yeah. Stefan. <laughs> <laughs> right? Paul points at this, right? I mean, he, this bit that's confusing. A lot of people argue, and there's entire books written um, on verses seven all the way down to, you know, basically the end of the chapter, but like 20, 20, 23, 24. And they debate when, you know, well, one, is Paul talking about himself? You know, the whole I don't do what I want to do, what I do want to do, I don't do that. Is he talking about himself, or is he speaking figuratively? Is he looking back on uh, 12-year-old Paul uh, at his bar mitzvah, though they didn't have bar mitzvahs back then, but, you know, when, when a Jewish boy would become under the law, is he looking back to that period uh, or is he looking back to, to uh, when he was first becoming a Christian, right? Uh, I, I tend to think that, that Paul there in in uh, in verses seven, right, all the way down to, to uh, you know in some sense verse eleven, I think Paul is is looking at his his pre Christ days, right. You know, Paul, as he began to, to, to not just study the Old Testament, but memorize the Old Testament. And, and he did that because as a, as a young Jewish boy, he, he believed correctly that the law is good, that it's righteous, that it's holy, that it is the path to life. Right? But, but as Paul began to study that, he began to discover something. Right? I didn't struggle with coveting until I read, don't covet. Right? You know, that... that, that this is a fact of life growing up, right? If you have kids, you know this, right? You, your kids, you know, ask you a question about a topic and you think, man, if I say if I say a full picture of that topic, I'm actually gonna create problems in that person's life that weren't there before, yeah. right? Because knowledge yeah. opens up doors, mm-hmm. the perspective, uh, and then we begin to think about, okay, well, like the example Paul uses, okay, I'm not supposed to covet, well, what's coveting? Uh, coveting me looking. Uh, at at Trevor's car and thinking, man, I wish that was my car. Or back then, Trevor's donkey, and man, I wish that was my donkey. (laughs) (laughs) That's that's the 10th commandment in Exodus 20, right, is don't covet. And literally, donkey is listed right alongside (coughs) uh, a a spouse uh, because we can do that, right? And Paul says, look, as I did that, well, what happened? I read, don't don't covet in verse 8. Well, sin seized that opportunity. And all of a sudden, what did he discover within him? A whole bunch of coveting. Because he began to understand covenant, in some sense this is the story of the Bible, right? Adam and Eve disobey, and and as they disobey, what do they now have? (laughs) Knowledge of good and evil, right? Uh, You know, and and so that door is open, and the reality is we all open that door, and that's what happens when we begin to read the Bible for the first time. We can be like Paul, we can begin to read the Bible seeking life, but in reality what does it produce? Death. Death. And some people get discouraged by this, right? I've met people who, you know, they start reading the Bible and you tell them go read go read the gospel and they go read the gospel and they come back and they're discouraged about it because they feel bad about themselves. They began to read the Bible. Why? Because they want to feel better about themselves. And then they read the Bible and they feel worse about themselves, right? And that's this cycle, right? Paul Paul begins to read uh, the law. And what does the law produce? It produces death, right? Sin and death. Uh, you know, and... and uh, for a lot of people, that's, that's the cycle. They look at the Bible, they read the Bible, uh, and, and, and they get a glimpse of their sin. Right? Some people push back against that. They, they read the Bible, and they think about everyone else's sin. Right. And instead of allowing it to be a mirror for their own lives, they allow it to be a magnifying glass for everyone else's life. Right. And then they, they begin to categorize people into good people, bad people. Yeah. Right? That's the wrong way to read the Bible. Paul showed us the right way to read the Bible. Right? The right way to read the Bible is to read, do not covet, and, and, and then look inward. Yeah. And the reality is when we do that, what does it produce? It produces sin, and ultimately, sin left unchecked produces death. But Paul here says you know, that that, that uh, circle doesn't have to end there. Yeah. But that process can drive you to Jesus. Amen. Right? And a lot of commentators say even chapter 7 is an expansion of, of chapter 3, 19 to 21. Uh, so he's, he's, he's already taught it once, and now he's going to show us a, a fuller picture, right? Uh, you know, this idea that that, that that the law ultimately does drive us to Jesus, if we read it properly, if we know our steps as somebody that's under the law, right? Now, for those of us who, who have gone through that process, studied the Bible, seen we're sinful, turned to Jesus, been baptized, and died to it, well, in some sense, what does Jesus do? Is He sends you right back to the law. Right, but how he wants you to approach it is different. It's no longer approaching it looking for self-justification or, or looking to try to decipher where you stand before God because you already understand those things. But now you're set back to it because that's how God wants you to live. That's how God wants you to to, 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 uh, to serve him and, him and obey him. Kevin DeYoung, De uh, who wrote a good book, I think it's on the next slide, uh, about the Ten Commandments that I've been reading, he says, we obey the commandments, therefore not in order to merit God's favor, but because we have already experienced his favor. Right? Very different way of why we approach. And then I think for, for a lot of you, you get this concept. I think our church tends to, you know, a lot of the evangelical world uh, Tends to to just have Paul uh, or themselves law sin Jesus, and I'm saved by Jesus. Therefore, I don't do anything, right? Uh, you know, and 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 the reality is that circle keeps going around, right? And it pushes us back on the law, right? Now, I think this 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 like I said earlier, people debate you know chapter seven, you know who's Paul talking about there in, in uh, these verses. You know, I think that this. This final section, there in verse fourteen, uh, all the way down to, to twenty five, is is Paul as a Christian. How about you? I read that and I think, man, that's 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 the battle that takes place within my head every day. Yeah. yeah. Right. There's part of me now as a Christian that delights in God's law. I want I want to follow God. I want to serve God. But there is something else within me. Paul labels it the sinful nature, the flesh, that doesn't want to. Yeah. And it is always, Paul says, right there, yeah. right? And, and it's a little bit like you know, Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde, right? Uh, or modern day example, the Hulk, right? You know, two people, two very different people within one. And, 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 and it's an important, you know, I think it's important for us in a variety of ways, but I think a lot, one, one of the, 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 the chief ways I think it's important is because it's a, it's a cycle that never ends that constantly drives us back to Jesus, but then in gratitude back to to serving and and understanding his law uh, and trying to fulfill that. Mm. Right? Uh, You know, and and, and it's a cycle that takes us deeper and deeper with time. But it keeps us constantly operating with God in our obedience, out of gratitude. Not falling into, you know, legalistic self-justification, but always constantly knowing, man, I fall short, but gosh, Thanks be to Jesus. And, and Paul, at the end, you know, as he goes through that whole perplexing, you know, doing what I don't want to do, it's almost as if he breaks out in, in, in praise for God, doesn't he? All right? And then he says there, verse, uh, at the end there, verse 24, 25, What a wretched man I am, who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death. Thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ, our Lord. That's the cycle of a Christian life, Yes. Yeah. We get up and we meditate on God's law and we try to go about our day and we realize, man, I fall radically short. So at the end of the day, what are we praising God for? The fact that Jesus rescues us. Amen. But that, that rescuing doesn't just lead you to doing nothing. It leads you to, again, the next day, waking up, making a decision to, to, to deny yourself and to live for Him. And you strive again, but at the same time, at the end of the day, you're at the same conclusion as the previous day, but you're further along in the journey. Yeah. Yeah. And you're being changed and you're being fine. And your motives and, and, and the motivation for it is constantly being replenished, right? And, and I think, that you know, again, this is where the law serves an incredible purpose of why we serve. Amen? You guys follow that? Amen. You know, third and lastly and much quicker, I promise, you know, the, the law does, as, I, as I've said many times, it, it tells us how to serve. It tells us what we're meant to do. And, and I've been reading this book. It's not that one. It's Ten Commandments, an old, old copy of it. But it's a good book yeah, uh, by Kevin DeYoung. Goes through the Ten Commandments and talks about why they are still relevant now. Right? And why they're still relevant. I mean, the, 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 you know, Jesus and Paul both, you know, for the second half, five to ten of the Ten Commandments, explicitly renew them. Right? But even the first one, my goodness, the idea of exclusivity, having no other gods before me, that's like out of Jesus' mouth every other word. He's constantly pushing people to understand that you can only serve him and him alone. And our world has lots of other gods. And yet God's will still is for us to be people that have no other gods before us. Then we serve King Jesus and Him alone. That's why when you were baptized, you said Jesus is Lord. And the question, you know, for us is still that. Does our life reflect that? We declare him Lord, but is our day-to-day life? Is that seen in that? How we how we obey and follow his command. Because the law is holy. It's a commandment is holy. It's righteous. It's good. It, it's spiritual. Matthew 7, Jesus says, Don't even think for a minute that I've come to abolish the law. I haven't come to abolish it and i fulfill it. And if you think you can teach other people to practice it less, then you're in danger that your righteousness should actually surpass that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. And then he takes these commandments, the 10 commandments, and uh, a few of them, and, and he and he deepens them. Pushes them beyond the mere a- action of murder, or, he says, "No, no, hatred. Hatred. God doesn't even want that in your heart." You go, "Oh man, I would never murder anyone." We think that, but man, we hate freely a lot of times, don't we? <laughs> yeah. But but man, if 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 we're in that cycle and we understand, man, I've been set free from the law, and so now I need to fulfill that law. Man, let me purge hatred from. Let me learn to see other people from God's perspective so that there's no room for hatred. Right? And we could do this with everyone, right? Every one of the Ten Commandments. I encourage you, if you don't know the Ten Commandments, you don't have them memorized. That's a good thing to memorize. Are you looking for a quiet time series for the beginning of the year? Go through the Ten Commandments. Again, don't approach them as a means to self-justification, but man, know that they are God's standard. Right? Commandment one, have no other gods before you. He is an exclusive God and He is jealous. Right, he doesn't care about Siri either, right? He, he doesn't want us creating images in how we worship him, right? Creation itself uh, reflects the God we serve. We don't need to add to that, in, in, in trying to create aids in our worship, right? I mean, you know, I read that book, the the one there on the screen, you know, and he talks about, you know, we don't we, we most good Christians we don't misuse the name of God, right? We don't say it flipping. Them. But, he, but but we do sometimes say, "Oh, this is I think this is God's will for your life." And, and he, he says, you got to think about that. And if you're a parent and your kids, when they do that with one another, right? Again, I, we, Maddie did this this morning, right? Uh, said something to Allie, "Oh, this is what Mom and Dad said." I'm like, "We never said that." <laughs> Where are you getting that from? <laughs> and I thought, man, how often does God think that about me? We we say stuff to one another, oh, this is what God does, what God wants you to do. (laughs) I was like, I never thought that, let alone said that, you know? But but we can misuse God's name. We can presumptuously speak as if we know what God's plan is. There are some things that are really clear, but there are other things that are not as clear, right? Uh, You know, uh, remembering the Sabbath, having rest. It's a big one, right? Rest is a bigger it's not just. You know, it's not just uh, Sunday not working. It's way bigger than that. Remembering the Sabbath rest, I mean, you read Hebrews, he's talking about the next life, the age to come. There's a rest coming for us, right? Honoring father and mother, you know, the, the most basic uh, structure of authority in a society is that of a family unit. And failing to grasp that in the family unit leads to a failure to grap- grasp it in every other section of society. God to say that's a foundational, foundational thing. Right? Uh, we're not to be meant to be a people uh, of murder or hatred. We're meant to be people of love. Not adultery, you know, immorality, but of purity. Not stealing, meaning we're not meant to be takers. We're meant to be givers, right? Not lying. We're meant to be people of the truth. That when we speak, we don't even need to make vows because our words have integrity behind them because we understand that we are held accountable for every careless word. Right? Uh, you know, and then the last one, which you have talked about a lot, is that number 10 of not coveting your wife, you know, someone's wife, someone's servant, someone's ox, donkey, or their possessions. This idea of we're meant to live a life of contentment. Right? It's the most fo- foundational, you know, and core aspect of the Old Testament law. That's still what God wants. Yeah. And again, as Christians, we, we can look at the Old Testament law with snobbery. As I've heard people say Oh, ah, it's Old Testament. We'll have to do that. <laughs> we don't have to do it in order to find favor in God's sight. True. But that is still how God wants us to live. And, and, and his moral standings, his moral expectations, they, they, they still they still weigh on us. You know, and so as you leave here today, you know, I encourage you to, to meditate on, you know, what, what is my standing in regards to the law? Right? If I've been born again, if I've been baptized, man, I've died the law, I've died to sin, I've been set free from that. Right? And so that changes how I approach it. Right? When I'm reaching out to people or I'm studying the Bible with people, I need to understand where they stand with it. Because sometimes we can lessen the blow of the law rather than letting the law do what it's meant to do, which is produce death. Right? And we've got to know our standing. We've got to know, know, know who it is we are serving. Right? Whether it's the law uh, or whether it's Christ. Right? We've got to know why we serve. We need to be a people who think about our motives. Doesn't mean you don't do it if your motives aren't right. It means you gotta get, dig deeper and get your motives right and then yeah. do it. Yeah. And sometimes our motives change as we do what is right to do, right? Yeah. Sometimes we can say, you know, a lot of people get caught up in this. Well, I don't know if I kinda wanna do that because my heart's not in it and I shouldn't do it if my heart's not in it. Well, self-denial is, a, is, is often repeated by Jesus, <laughs> okay? And, and he repeatedly does say, hey, your heart follows where you, where you treasure, where you value, where you invest in. All right? And so, so we need to be a people who are not controlled by motives or paralyzed by the pursuit of motives. But we also can't be people who ignore motives. Right? There needs to be a deeper sanctification that's taking place in our hearts. Uh, and then we need to obviously have a high value of the Old Testament, of the law, because it is God's will. Amen? Amen. Let's have a prayer, and we'll stand and sing one final song father we uh, you know we do thank you we thank you for you know even Paul opening up his life and, and, and you know it's, sometimes it's hard to relate to him but even to, to see that internal struggle that, that he has God and how that that internal struggle continually pushes him back to you Jesus you know even now as we, as we take the, the, the bread and the wine God help, help us to reflect on that cycle that occurs day in and day out for each one of us Help us to know that, that, that you know, our standing only changes because of the sacrifice he's made. And that as we eat that, 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 that bit of cracker, that we can think back at the, the body that was offered up for us. We can, you know, as we take the cup, that we can remember the, the blood that was spilled to redeem us, to free us from, from being under the law, from being controlled by sin, and ultimately facing death, we pray, God, that you help us, God, to, to, to have hearts of just filled with gratitude because of that realization. But, but God, you know, help us to never uh, be left to just sit there. Help that, that, that gratitude to, to fuel and to drive and to compel us and to even control us and motivate us uh, to, to go back to that law and strive to fulfill it in our lives. You know, as we live for you and we live free from, from being able to, you know, from being controlled by sin anymore, God. And we pray, God, that as we, you know, even as we give, God, uh, we know you have so much to say about money. And in a vast majority of our culture is ultimately serving money. And that that's such a foundational and functional thing that, that's so, so practical, God. Help us to be a people that, that even approach our wealth in a way that's radically different than the world, God. To not do it because we have to, but to do it because we want to. To fulfill your law as we live lives that are sacrificial. Way, God. Again, we thank you we pray you bless the, the, the communion and the contribution that we take up now. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. Amen.